in short, I kind of I wasn't driving at that point, and I asked my dad, "Hey, can you can you give me a lift to Mount Gambia?" Which that's where I thought the trip was going to be, and it's like still eight hours away or five hours away. It's like, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And then I got the GPS location. It's like it took us three days to get there. Like, Thanks for the ride. <laughs> so we wow. end up in the middle of the desert uh, in Old Wolgan, and we did a bunch of dives there. So that was a cool little expedition with um, with some crew in, in Australia. It's episode 74 of Dive in the Podcast with special guest Tamara May. Dive in the Podcast is a weekly all about diving podcast for everyone. Whether you explore the oceans as a snorkeler, scuba diver, free diver, or tech diver, Dive in has something for you. The show is filled with diving news, feature interviews with guests from around the world, interesting dive topics, and ocean advocacy. Visit DiveInPod.com to find out about the show, past guests, and our Patreon. Hi everyone, I'm Amit. I'm April. I'm Justin, and this week we continue our bucket list travel with the Maldives. And we're the hosts of Dive In The Podcast. Before we start today's episode, we'd like to thank you, the listeners. Thanks for tuning in every week. Your support encourages us to keep going and make a bigger and better podcast. So, what did you guys think about last week's episode with Marissa Eckert? I quite enjoyed that. I think Marissa has fantastic energy and uh, it was an absolute blast to chat with. Definitely a blast to chat with. And one of our favorite audio clips that will be used in one of the promos for the episode just came from our chat in the middle of the commercial break that didn't even make mm. the uh, the <laughs> final cut of the episode. So, you know, that just goes to show how uh, how cool of a lady she was and had lots of great stories. And uh, yeah, you know, I, w- I want to go to the Cocos Islands and get down there and do some do some diving, do what, uh, do some of the stuff she does. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. definitely making me think that like rebreathers before Cocos is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was awesome. And it's awesome to have another like amazing tech diving woman on today's show as well. Mm-hmm. That's like two in a row. So these are going to be like two awesome, awesome episodes. Lots of awesome female divers. They're well represented out there. So it's good to get them on the show and talk to them. Uh, April, you also, speaking of uh, talking to people, you had a shout out from one of our listeners. So, I mean, I don't know if this is like a shout out, but I think it's kind of cool. So I wanted to share it. But Mm -hmm. one of our listeners uh, from BC, he sent me a message on Instagram and was basically like, hey, I'm in Nova Scotia for the next like couple of weeks on vacation. Uh, I know you're in Nova Scotia. I like the podcast. Would you be interested in going for a dive? So I was like, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, let's go for a dive. So I'm going to show them around. So we're going to go for a dive together on Wednesday. Nice. Normal Very podcast good. night. Good thing we're recording early this week so you can go for a dive. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So anyways, <laughs> I thought that was fun. I guess if any of our other listeners are ever in uh, in Halifax, we'd be happy to show them around. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Speaking of awesome divers, tonight we're speaking to Tamara May. Tamara is an Australian diver, dive guide, and technical instructor who's dived reefs and wrecks around the world. Tamara lives and dives by her dive like a ninja philosophy. She's currently based in Mexico, where she also teaches. Oh, she's currently based in Mexico, and she also teaches in Thailand and Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Tamara. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you. Very well. Very, very well. Happy in, uh, in sunny Mexico. Sunny Mexico. That's a nice place to be. It was kind of cold and rainy Nova Scotia today for me. So. <laughs> I tend to chase the sun around the world. <laughs> it's I good times. It. Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Reading up on you, it seems like that's what you do. Like to chase the sun <laughs> around the world. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Gravitate to, to, to beaches and, and the sun. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my jam. <laughs> It's cool. That's a good jam. It's a good jam. I it's like a good it. Jam. We'll start your official interview here in a minute, Tamara. But before that, I just want to know: Have you ever, uh, have you ever had an encounter with an orca? I wish I have, but no, no, I haven't. I'm uh, not in a cave yet, but uh, neither in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be quite the encounter of an orca in a cave for really? sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I ask is uh, there's an article today, Spain for the second time in a year is banning uh, the use of small boats under 15 feet. And the reason why there's been over 50 encounters with Gibraltar orcas. These are a uh, certain kind of orca, uh, orca that are endangered. And uh, they've been ramming small boats to the point that at least 25 of them had to be towed inshore. So the extraordinary orca encounters have baffled scientists. There's a link in the article that we have linked in our show notes that goes back to the previous article from this happened the first time, uh, showing the damage to these boats in both pictures and videos. It's pretty crazy. Scientists have no idea what's going on. They interviewed a few in the article. One of them uh, says very strange, but they don't want to. They don't believe it's an attack, so they don't want to characterize it that way. Other scientists said that uh, the orcas could be expressing anger as big game fishing, whale watching, and fast ferries have returned to the water after the pandemic. And then the other one, the my favorite, said they're having fun. Maybe these orcas just have fun causing damage. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm sitting there and I'm reading that and I'm just thinking like these orcas are channeling some serious rage against the machine. <laughs> They've got the take the power back uh, album rolling in the background and, and they're like, no, we're, we've had enough of these people and their boats in our ocean. Time to go, chumps. And that's, that's what we're seeing. They're just well, going to take the oceans back. That's it. Uh, well, these Gibraltar uh, orcas, I think they said there's only 50 individuals left in the in the world. So uh, they oh, probably wow. have a, every right to be pissed off at some sailboats. That's, that's crazy. I didn't tell you guys this earlier, but when I was on my paddleboard this morning, a uh, seal like poked its head up and it was mm -hmm. only like six feet away from me. And at first I just thought it was a black buoy. And then it like turned its face and like I looked right into its eyes. But there was a part of me that was like, oh, like what happens if it like, I don't know, flips over my board or like bite? Because sometimes they're like pretty playful. So yeah. But anyways, that was, that's what I was thinking of. But I'm glad I guess it was a seal. Not an orca. Not an orca. That'd be quite the that's experience. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like those orcas are April that uh, they know how to how to tip the icebergs so that the seals kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. slide, slide into their mouth. The next thing you know, they're like, hmm, she's wearing a wetsuit. Looks like a seal. I tipped the yeah. paddleboard. Uh, no, no, we, can't, right in. we can't fear monger orcas here. I no. mean, they're pretty awesome yeah. overall. But, yeah. yeah, this podcast does not support fear mongering of uh, orcas in any way, shape, or form. No, no. no. <laughs> No, I'm sure that I'm sure that seal just wanted to check you out and see your mm. newly re-glued wetsuit you had on. 
It was very <laughs> cute. It, it followed me around for probably like 10 minutes. It was pretty cool, actually. That's kind of cool. Yeah. That's nice. Oh, we don't get a lot of close seal encounters here in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. so that's pretty it's cool. It was really cool. Awesome. That's it for the news today. It's time to dive in with Tamara May. So, Tamara, you're in Tulum, Mexico, and you're from Australia. Is, is that where you grew up? Yeah, I grew up in uh, in Melbourne, uh, just just out of the city in, in Melbourne. Yeah, so it's cold there. So I'm very happy to have chased the sun around the world and ended up here in, in Tulum. Yeah, I bet. Thinking back, um, what's your first memory of the water? Mm, scuba diving underwater? Just any memory of the water. I've always been uh, attracted to water. Um, my parents got my brother and I in swimming lessons very young. Um, that's quite a common thing mm-hmm. for Australians. And I knew that I just loved it. They used to call me the fish in our uh, swimming lessons just because, like, I would try to stay underwater as long as possible, swim from one side of the pool to the other, <laughs> just wanted to be in it as long as possible. Um, so it's been like a, a, a just a a love of mine since for forever. I really wish I had have started uh, scuba diving earlier, but uh, you know, in my younger years, I, I made an effort to hang out at the beach as much as possible. And sort of, if we were traveling somewhere, I'd always make my dad book into a place with a pool just so I could be like <laughs> wet and submerged in the pool. So it's, uh, <laughs> memories go far, far back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And your mom is a scuba diver from Papua New Guinea. Did she influence you to try diving for the first time? She did, yeah. So she was given uh, basically her training through a promotion for an airline that she was working with. Um, so basically they wanted to promote the, um, the locals and getting into um, like yeah, extra activities and so they paid for her course and she, like me, falling in love with the water, she um, got quite into it. And, of course, in, in, in Papua New Guinea, there's a lot of wrecks from the war. So I, mm-hmm. yeah, was at a very young age um, when I showed that I wanted to do water sports, she was always like, oh, yeah, I remember diving with a turtle. I mean, back then she was like, oh, I, I, I got to hold on to the shell and it took me for a ride. <laughs> right. Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't tell you that. But uh, so those sort of stories and diving in, in, in shipwrecks, in, um, in plane wrecks, and, uh, you know, this, this was, you know, I, I heard these stories at a very young age and it, it kind of it got me thinking, uh, it got me curious very curious. So, um, it all started from, from my mum. Yeah. And my, my dad and my mum met, um, well, I guess 35 years ago. And so he, she got him into diving and then he would go on about it and do, do Mm. trips to the great barrier reef and stuff. So, um, yeah, they planted the seed, uh, a while ago. (laughs) And was she the first person that you went diving with or how did you start diving? Oh man, I wish. Um, it was when, when I actually went back to Australia a couple years ago and, uh, I did a refresher for my mum, And so for her, it had been something like 36 years since she had been scuba diving. 
So like she did it all in, in, a, in Papua New Guinea before she moved to Australia and then had my brother and I. So it's been a long time. So that was a really cool moment to, to get to dive with her. Um, you know, like any time you go diving with a, a close friend or a family member, just to see their face in the mask and their excitement is, is, is a pretty cool thing. So that was a, a good experience. But my first, uh, my first experience diving was in Thailand in the Gulf. Um, I was on holidays there. I'd kind of been going back and forth from Australia doing short holidays to Kotao. And uh, finally one mm. trip I met a dive master and I told him how much I was, you know, I love snorkeling and free diving. And um, he's like, I oh, just come on the boat. Just, just don't worry about it. I'll get you a, a try dive. Just come and see if you like it. And, of course, I did. Uh, I I remember those two short dives very, very clearly. And uh, I remember surfacing, thinking like, man, I have to go home in two days. This sucks. I went home. And then I basically kind of sold everything. I booked a one-way ticket and uh, I emailed the dive center and I said, hey, I want to do my open water course and uh, to my dive master. (laughs) And, yeah, one-way ticket and that was... 2010 to, to, to Thailand and Kotao in Thailand. So I went, I went full ball <laughs> all the way. Yeah. I, I bet it's funny you say that because we interviewed Marissa Eckert last week and she had practically the same story. She went and <laughs> did one dive or did some try diving, maybe got her open water certification, then packed up, sold all her stuff and moved to Florida. <laughs> Uh, so it's, uh, it's kind of a hilarious coincidence there. Um, yeah. but other than your parents, did you have any mentors that, uh, that helped you develop your passion along the way? Um, along the way, for sure. My, my, my open water instructor, um, that did my recreational training, Natalie Hunt. Um, she was the owner of the dive center there. Um, another Aussie. So it was kind of like an instant cool connection. Um, and uh, she's also a course director, so she would run the dive master programs and all the instructor programs there. So she taught me all the way through. And, uh, yeah, I mean, her passion for, for diving and just for teaching um, was something that I really looked up to. And she'd kind of dabbled in um, technical diving as well. So um, just being in her company and the other instructors in that dive center kind of yeah influenced me to do more and more. So, I mean, when you live on a, on a dive island like that, I mean, pretty much every conversation is about diving and, uh, you know, you kind of, I mean, all you do is dive two, four, five dives in the day. You see different people, different levels in the water, technical configurations, rebreathers. It kind of like, you know, your or at least my curiosity to to try it all started pretty pretty early. So she she kind of was, I guess, the first mentor that I had in diving for sure. Wow, that's that's very cool. And you mentioned there um, your you know, your instructor had dabbled a bit in technical diving, but you sort of took it to another level and, and kind of jumped right into it. Uh, what piqued your interest in technical diving? More technique, uh, to be honest. When I saw my first tech instructor, Craig, um, when I saw him underwater, 
I just thought, man, he looks cool. Like he's doing it well. Um, like a solid front <laughs> who's in a twin set, just like looking like a ninja. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm, that's, that's how I want to dive. So it was more for um, having good technique at the start, just diving well. And then, of course, then that turned into, okay, well, with that, those skills and the extra gas, of course, now I can penetrate that wreck that I've been swimming around and around for, you know, however many dives um so it was kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> it was more yeah looking good and having good skill that that got me thinking about it <laughs> weird as that sounds <laughs> looks could kill i guess right like so <laughs> and of course like curiosity to do like cave diving and, and any overhead environment was kind of uh really interesting to me from my mum's stories from diving a wreck and Nat, my my instructor at that time, she'd just finished her her cave course over in Kalsok National Park and was raving on about it, like, oh, you should give it a go. So, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And at what point did you try side mount for the first time? I did side mount for my Tech 45 course. Um, I guess that was in 20... 12 or 2013, somewhere there. So I'd done my Tech 40 in back mount and it's kind of like, yeah, cool, that's that's fun. But then I saw one of my instructors in, in side mount and it looked interesting. And, of course, I, I hated the valve in the back of my head. It was just one of the most annoying things. Um, so, I yeah, I decided to, to mm-hmm. try it then. So it was actually like a, a quick open water side mount course that then you know, I ended up adding an extra cylinder for, for the deco. So kind of moved into that pretty quickly. Um, but uh, I've kind of, my time in, in Kotao and then after I moved to uh, Egypt, to Dahab, I kind of would do a bit of a mix, um, 50-50. Some of my deeper training was in side mount and then I would fun dive with, in, in uh, sorry, yeah, my deep stuff was in back mount and then I'd fun dive after in side mount. But now here I'm pretty much 99% of the time I'm, I'm diving in side mount. I find it quite comfortable. And you're uh, diving rebreathers now as well. Uh, tell us about that progression. Yeah, so I um, I first became a rebreather diver on uh, on the Pelagian. It's a back-mounted rebreather um, that's actually built... Um, in Thailand, uh, a guy, Andy over there, a um, Swedish guy, he builds them there. So I'd seen them around before in, in Kotao. Um, but moving here, one of our instructors at, at ProTech, he was teaching that course. So, um, it kind of f- fell into my hands and I, I gave it a go. Of course it was, um, something that I'd been interested in for a long time, but I kind of, I, all that I had heard is that it's really hard and buoyant, you know, breathe in, breathe out, this buoyancy thing is, is completely different. So I kind of wanted to be ready for that learning phase. So I waited a little bit and then, um, and then, uh, yeah, started with that course and I kind of, yeah, you know, at some point you, you need a challenge and, um, and I got it. <laughs> that, that mod one was, was Fairly difficult. I had like a mini meltdown halfway through, but pulled it together. I got through it. But uh, so I now own that unit. Um, but I did a crossover to the Kiss Sidewinder 
I guess like a year ago now, um, through COVID actually, when everything mm-hmm. was shut down, we did a bunch of instructor training and diver training through ProTech. So um, I, I did that and, uh, yeah, the side-mounted rebreather I think is yeah, it's very comfortable. It's easy in some way. It's easier to get used to than the Pelagian. Mind you, I had a little bit of experience with it already. But, yeah, for, for me now – when I have a day off, like the pinnacle for me, like the ultimate dives would be a rebreather dive, preferably on, on the sidewinder because it's in a configuration that I dive nearly every day, probably with a DPV cruising through a cave. So, uh, yeah, mm. well, soon I will have my own. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been a cool learning curve, but, um, yeah, I love it. It's quiet, quiet, real quiet. And so in relation to that, I guess, you know, you, you made a mention there that you, you had the mini meltdown while you were doing the, the rebreather training. And one of the things that comes up to me is, uh, what is it about rebreather diving that makes it so much harder? Do you think than you know, say your standard configuration and open circuit? For example, that mini meltdown came from just having more things to manage. You become quite task loaded. I mean, on that dive, we were doing uh, some ascent training. So we're going deeper than our original training dives down to 30 meters. And um, I was doing it in a dry suit. So dry suit, I'm trying to manage with the the BC plus the counter lung and just, you know, getting used to managing the PPO2, which button you press is pretty important. Um, so it just became like... It's a few added things that it really doesn't sound like a lot, but it, it, it was it was very mentally challenging. And so, what had happened basically, I was descending and descending, and I felt the the, the counter lungs. I hadn't added enough gas to the counter lungs to to have enough in the breathing loop to breathe like freely. And I reached down because I was descending quite fast, and psh, I pressed A button, but it happened to be the O2. So I manually added O2 through the power inflator at like 20 meters. <laughs> so not ideal. And being a you know, technical diver at that point and usually being quite in control, um, seeing my, uh, my handset flash red. Of course, my instructor was there and bailed me out straight away. But that was kind of like, Whoa, what am I doing? Uh, mini meltdown underwater, mini meltdown on the surface, but you know it's a part of the process. So I, uh, I, I pulled it together, and so it's yeah, it's 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 just managing uh, multiple things at at the same time is what I was really struggling with. But of course, you know, buoyancy is the biggest uh, difference. Where and now it's a, your bubbles, you don't have bubbles. It's not escaping the unit, so. Any inhalation, exhalation is not, uh, you know, affecting your your depth like it usually would be in open circuit. So just getting used to that. It's, it's a subconscious thing as, you know, experienced divers when we're descending, okay, we want to, we automatically subconsciously just breathe in a little bit, but, yeah, that has no effect. So it's like, oh, how do I fix this in time? So what came with every day of that training and every day, of diving that I do on a rebreather now is more just anticipation. Um, 
that's pretty much, of course, knowing which button to press, but anticipating this stuff a little <laughs> bit earlier. <laughs> yeah, that makes a that makes a lot of sense, and I, I imagine it gets even more difficult as you try to transition that into caves. So your first cave dive, then, do you remember? Do you remember that well? I did uh, the crossover, and that was kind of like. Yeah, I, I remember it well because we we finally are doing like touch contact exits. We have the blindfold on. So how do we manage our partial pressure and, and on the rebreather and doing it sort of by feel and memory? Um, so that uh, that course was kind of challenging but fun at the same time. But getting into an environment that I'm diving most days with open circuit to then be quite you know, as I said, it's very quiet. You feel quite stealthy. Um, it was, uh, yeah, memorable. And, I, you know, it's my preferred configuration now. So, as I said, it's kind of like it's like the epitome of being neutrally buoyant at some point, you know. When all the gas is, is distributed correctly, you know, and you just get onto your normal breathing pattern, um, it's, li- it's really just like you're floating through space with that's full of stalagmites and stalactites. <laughs> when did you know that you really wanted to end up working in caves then, you know, in these sort of deep, dark places, as you put it, and, and what really drew you into them? Yeah, so, I mean, I had become a cave diver in Thailand. Um, and after Thailand, uh, I moved to Egypt where I pursued deep diving. So after about nine months there, I kind of... Seeing my bank account balance diminish after paying for loads of helium, so I ended up like, okay, what what can I do now? And it got me thinking about um, the cave diving that I had done before, and Mexico had popped up a bunch of times with friends, and uh, so I basically followed a couple friends over to to Mexico, and then of course you know, diving here and I had started a, a cavern guiding internship just to get sort of some money coming in and then I realized that I really I really love this environment and uh, it's kind of just been a natural progression, just diving in it, enjoying it, um, then surrounding myself with other people that are working in this industry. Um, it's kind of, yeah, just... Uh, yeah, being a natural progression. And now the guys that I work with at ProTech um, are super passionate about uh, instructing just the, the development of cave diving and equipment at the moment. And uh, it's kind of, it's very inspiring. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, again, just been a, a natural uh, progression, slow, but it's, 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 it's coming I like being I like being a guide here. That's fun taking certified divers into in into caves or caverns. But um, as an instructor, you know, I've been an instructor for for quite a while. Um, I've always thought that to be able to teach a, a cave course because of the the risks involved in the general environment. Now there's a ceiling and walls and sediment and so on. I thought that that was always. Um, a really cool it was a high level um that i sort of yeah aspired to so i'm slowly uh slowly getting there so it's been um yeah kind of something that i've wanted to do for a while 
And thinking back to your progression through diving has led you all over the world. Could you tell us about that and where you've gone and where you've been? Sure. Um, yeah, so as I said, I started in Thailand um, in Koh Tao, <clears throat> um, soon moved to uh, Egypt to Dahab in 2014. So I started, yeah, I was four years in Thailand and then to Egypt for just under a year. And then I came to Mexico. Um, I was here for about six months and then one of the, the guys that I did my hypoxic course in in Egypt, he was actually in Mexico. He, um, we, we did some dives together and he owns a dive center in, in Italy and invited me to go and teach there with him. So I had done six months here and then I, I went to um, just near Portofino uh, in, in Italy to dive with him just um, as their English-speaking tech instructor. So um, that was an awesome experience. We spent... Uh, we did a little trip over to Sardinia and did some some cave diving there. Um, and did a little bit of diving. Uh, there's quite a lot of wrecks in in, in Italy, um, so we did some some cool tech stuff there. And then uh, and then I came back to Mexico, and uh, yeah, then I spent uh, did a couple trips around Europe where I went to France and did some cave diving in the lot. Kind of had like a little packed with myself to try and dive somewhere new each year. Um, mind you, the last two years have been weird, so that didn't happen. But <laughs> um, I don't know what you mean. What happened? A few uh-huh. years ago. but um, So, yeah, we did a bit of France and some cave diving in Spain as well, which was great. Um, where else have I been? Florida. I did some cave diving over there. That was great. Uh, coming from, you know, diving in no-flow cave uh, for quite some time, that was the biggest uh, adjustment, diving in Floridian caves, super fun, just like, mm. you know, pulling your way in, flying out of the cave. Was, I've kind of been talking about it a lot <laughs> recently. I want to head back. Well, the Maldives I've been to, that was, that was a great, uh, great little trip actually. Um, a friend of mine was man- managing a dive part of a, of a hotel over there and invited me over and uh so i got to do some really cool reef dives there it's probably my favorite uh of of all reefs that i've i've dived to to date um australia was my uh most recent international dives that was that was cool i actually hadn't dived in australia until a few years ago um uh, there's a bunch of caves there in South Australia. It's a big limestone uh, platform there as well. And so there's a bunch of sinkholes and some pretty extensive cave there. Um, so that was actually my first yeah, diving experience. And then when I moved back to Australia uh, for a little bit, about a year with my parents, I was there and uh, dived some of Port Phillip Bay there where David Attenborough, one of his documentaries, Oceans, they did a bunch of filming in the in Port Phillip Bay. So I had no idea that there's actually really cool diving in Melbourne uh, until uh, a couple of friends told me. So, um, yeah, weedy sea dragons. And, yeah, so the macro stuff I, I got a bunch of in, in Australia. So um, that was a treat. But, uh, yeah, then back to Mexico. I try to keep Mexico as my... My home base, I guess. 
now, which um, has been pretty awesome through COVID. <laughs> You've been all over the place there. I've got to ask before we go to break, uh, what any of those places from all the stuff you just told us, what's the gem? What's the, what's the cool spot? Hmm. I would like to go cave diving again in France. We only sort of scratched the surface of, of, of the dives that, um, that you could do over there. I found it quite, quite interesting um, diving cold water. I want to I get some more cold water diving experience, I think. Um, and just the type of cave was, was quite different. So I, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. A friend of mine's been posting some photos, so I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah, France, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome that sounds great plus there's croissants and the, you know oh, that's fantastic. I'll say so. John, all the cheese and the wine yeah <laughs> yeah all right well we're going to take a short break and we'll be back with more from Tamara May this episode of dive in the podcast is brought to you by torpedo rays scuba you can find them online at torpedorays.com They've been teaching Canada how to dive for 25 years and are a proud sponsor of this podcast. If you're in Atlantic Canada and want to take a course or see the shop, stop in and see us in Dartmouth and check out the huge selection of scuba, apnea, surf gear, and much more. Dive tours are available for locals and visitors to experience all that our ocean playground has to offer. TorpedoRays.com has a vast selection of dive gear at unbeatable prices with free shipping available in Canada and quick shipping throughout North America. So visit TorpedoRays.com or stop in the shop and you might even see one of us there. Welcome back to Dive in the Podcast. We're speaking to Tamara May. Tamara is an Australian diver and technical instructor who follows the dive like a ninja philosophy. So Tamara, Dive Like a Ninja is your business and your dive philosophy. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, so in <laughs> a little bit about looking good. Um, so my one of the tech instructors in, in Thailand, um, Jeff Chopper, we were doing a dive at a dive salt called um, Sa- Sail Rock. And he was on his JJ on the rebreather all in black, I'd see him down the bottom just looking all stealthy, cruising along. I'm like, man, he looks good. So we surface. I'm like, Jeff, man, Chopper, you look so good down there. And he's like, hey, you know, you got to dive like a ninja. I'm like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, you do. So it's kind of like, you, you know, in diving we kind of, in some way if you, you do look good, you have good control with buoyancy, you have good finning technique. Um, you know, you kind of do look stealthy through the water. So it's kind of, yeah, it, it, to me, it made sense and, uh, it just kind of stuck. It was kind of a a bit of a catchy phrase. So I I kind of stole it from him. Thanks chopper. Mm. Um, but (laughs) it's, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, I coined my, my philosophy just for looking kind of stealthy and ninja in the water. Well, I, I got to say, I, I love it. Like the first time I heard it, I was just like, oh man, that's so cool. Um, and well, now of course hearing how it came about is even better. But, you know, for me, uh, I love, I love hearing that story and, and kind of the, you know, the ninja stealthy piece. But one of the things I guess that uh, comes to mind 
that, you know, to me from an instructing standpoint too, is that's a pretty strong philosophy It in, you know, in a very small bit there, you're talking about a lot of things wrapped into one. So how does that philosophy influence your instructing? And then how does it then in turn influence the way that your students dive? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of forced me to focus more on the fundamentals of, of diving. So you know, as a recreational instructor, of course, we, we teach like peak performance buoyancy and how important it is to have good buoyancy, but trim was really never a thing. And, you know, sometimes we teach the frog kick, um, but, you know, being in this environment, especially now that in, in a cave or a cavern, when you, you do have these physical restrictions, you're forced to have good skills. So, now, um, you know, teaching any course, side mount or, or cavern or anything, I always force um, us to dive by a line and really hammer in fine-tuning of buoyancy um, together with all the propulsion techniques um, so that we can kind of, you know, be in the position that we need to, to be in, in relation to the team or in a cavern or a cave case and it would be the line. So um, this sort of looking good and stealthy, being in good trim and being in, in total control has definitely, it's, it's my focus before we do anything more complicated um, because it just does help. I mean, for mm-hmm. everyone and, of course, for the diver, the student, um, if, they, if they can't hover in front of me while I do a demonstration, then you know, how much are they taking away from what I'm doing in front of them? They don't have my full attention. So, um, or yeah. So I think, um, yeah, I tried to, to focus on the fundamentals and this is a course that even as side mount divers, for example, or back mount, they come in with quite some experience. So still no matter what we get on the line and we, and we make sure that we are actually really stable in the water and we know how to backfin and do um, good positioning kicks and, and so on. So it's definitely um, definitely a core focus for, for what I do now. And I love it because the student, the divers will feel far more in control when they can actually, when they have someone in front of them that is where they need to be the whole time and they feel like they're like bouncing around and doing circles on top of me when they see a few days later that they can stay right there and do the thing that they need to do well, then um, it's, it's a cool thing to see. And of course it feels, it feels good for them. So um, yeah, I think we should teach more of the core fundamentals um, or put more time into that for the, open water courses from, from the start, I think we need to focus a bit more. And I guess like, you know, agencies like Patty brought in, I think trim is one of the skills, uh, which is kind of funny. I think that came in like a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty important to hammer in. That sounds like, uh, like music to my ears really when I think about it and, before the show, uh, I mean, I think we've spoken about it too many times, but uh, a lot of instructors have said the same thing uh, that you're saying now about drilling those fundamentals and from the get-go. Um, so, leads me to ask, really seriously here, <laughs> did you watch a lot of ninja movies growing up? Uh, I know I ninjas, so not so much. 
but a lot of martial arts. Van Dam was like my on-screen. Oh. Boy. He was the man. Bloodsport okay. was like my favorite film. Forever. All right. Okay. Yes. So Bloodsport, you grew up with Bloodsport. <laughs> I can, can you play it now? Right. I know it word for word. I like it. Yeah. That was, that was totally my thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the scene with uh, Bolo Jung in the background, <laughs> just like screaming, like you know, Adam, like oh, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that's definitely a classic. I think yeah, for for most of us here. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh my god, yes yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I, I guess we got to get back serious here, but uh, yeah, you get me on the martial arts fan dams. <laughs> oh, uh, next thing you yeah, know, let's, we're let's Steven Seagal. Yeah. It's all going to hell. Um, <laughs> Ah, Tamara, you don't have a physical dive shop, but you do work with ProTech. Uh, what's that partnership like? Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, I've been, I started my internship with them back in 2016. And uh, it wasn't until a, a couple of years later when I went back to Australia that I actually registered Dive Like a Ninja as a business and did it sort of properly. I, I did a business management course when I was there and they kind of helped me set it up properly. So coming back to Mexico, we have, um, uh, uh, you know, we work together in that any bookings that I get, people that are come to me for courses through however my website or um, through social media, then I teach them through ProTech so I can actually use the, the facilities there and um, uh, they they give full support. So um, we work quite quite well together. And, you know, if I right now I'm a cavern instructor, so I can't complete a full cave program. So then they would, uh, my student would then just uh, be put with one of the boys and I can stay together with them as a buddy or as an assistant or, you know, ghost on the, on the course. So <clears throat> it works quite quite well. What did you expect when you first started diving in caves and and how is that different from the reality of like a day-to-day cavern instructor? I mean, when I when I first started, you know, I guess the appeal of that type of environment and and that skill level was was what was driving me. Um and of course, you know the, the more that you dive in those environments, your your comfort zone changes too, right? So, um, n- the dives that I do now, I never would have imagined myself doing, you know, a, a couple years ago, even because just again of my comfort and, and skill level changing there. So then I, you know, when I first started becoming a, a cave diver and I got some experience, I didn't imagine that I would be teaching such a thing. To me, it was like, oh, help, you know, that seems just so heavy. Um, but, again, it's just like a comfort thing. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been, as I said, like a progressive journey. So, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> Or a bit of a brain fart there. <laughs> You've had some pretty amazing dive projects in the past. Could you tell us about some of them? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, we, I have one coming up called Shunan Ha. It was actually supposed to be in April. Um, so this is an exploration project with um, the six, six girls that will be a part of it, uh, two from Mexico, 
or Julia, she's actually German, um, and Melody, she's from, from Mexico and a few other girls from Europe. Um, so we'll all be doing some exploring here. Um, it's going to be documented. We'll have like a, a crew to film and to show our, our journey and what we find. Um, so that's something that's I'm super excited for because it's been like delayed and delayed and delayed because of COVID. So yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to finally get that, uh, get that happening. But um, some other stuff, just some uh, small exploring that's been happening uh, here in Mexico nearby. I've done a little bit with the boys and some with Robbie, the, the instructor that, or the, um, the primary explorer of our, of our trip. We've done some, um, some exploring here. So sort of in preparation and, and, and building my skill there, cause it's a kind of a whole nother ball game to cave diving, exploring in, in a cave that's never been dived before. So, um, yeah, that's, that's been a bunch of fun. What else is there? Um, Ah, in Australia, actually, I did a um, my first trip over there. Was uh, I was invited to go to Olwolgan Cave, um, which is in Western Australia, so as two states away from where I was based in Melbourne. Um, Tim Muscat he he organised the trip, and so in short, I kind of I wasn't driving at that point, and I asked my dad, "Hey, can you?" can you give me a lift to Mount Gambia, which that's where I thought the trip was going to be. And it's like still eight hours away or five hours away. It's like, yeah, sure. That sounds like fun. And then I got the GPS location. It's like, it took us three days to get there. Thanks for the ride. (laughs) So we end up in the middle of the desert uh, in old Wolgan and we did a bunch of dives there. So that's a cool little, expedition with um with some crew in in australia um i really enjoy that sort of stuff um adding a little bit of adventure to to Mm. what can already be some cool dives so um yeah but uh, i guess my my upcoming adventure or project is is this shunan ha that i'm super excited about two weeks in the jungle and let's see what we find Yeah, and you know I, that uh, in particular, you mentioned the exp- expedition coming up, and that you've said that it's an all women's expedition. And we've had the pleasure of interviewing some, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, I guess, big names like Jill Heinerth. Uh, you know, we've also had Christina Zanato on the the show as women who have really kind of pushed the limits um, and broken a lot of barriers for women. But this is, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the largest, if not the, the biggest uh, expedition that's being um, led primarily I, I guess by it women? would be in that, like, the number of us, is, there's six of us, um, and it is a two-week uh, expedition. Um, so, and, and, I mean, what the potential for what we could find is, I mean, we just don't know. Um, Robbie has got an area where he's kind of sussed out some, some of those that mm-hmm. um, are virgin, so, and this, you know, this entire, the Yucatan is dotted with uh, cenotes and sort of, you know, we've got thousands of kilometres of cave passage along here. Um, so the, the potential for what we find is, is, is quite big. 
but I think having six women uh, come together is, um, yeah, I guess I'm not sure, but it sounds like it would be now that I think about it quite a, quite a large uh, expedition. So (laughs) it's going to be fun. Six women in the jungle, you know, fighting off mosquitoes and horse flies and jaguar there. (laughs) Very fun. (laughs) That's uh, yeah. That sounds like it'd be quite the adventure, honestly, <laughs> regardless of gender. Uh, I guess one of the other parts that comes up to me when you look at these uh, exploration projects, if we go back to the beginning of the interview, you were speaking about uh, your mom being from Papua New Guinea. And so do you have any any interest or plans to maybe go back to the mom's homeland and do some exploration there? Uh, absolutely. I would love to. Um Quite some years ago now, uh, I did some looking through just to see what where the caves are p- positioned in, in Papua New Guinea, and I got a hold of a guy in Kaviang um, where they do have some caverns and some, at that point, some sort of shallow penetration caves there um, that he offered to take people. Now, um well, he kind of wanted just some cave diving buddies, basically. So um, I kind of, I know that I know where there are some caves, but to get there has been my issue. I've kind of vowed to go back to Papua New Guinea with my mum. She's got some issues with her, her passport and traveling around there can be quite dangerous. Uh, so um, it's kind of just a matter of getting the logistics in place. Um, but I have had a friend that did a trip uh, about a year ago. He's a dry caver, and he said they did poke around in some holes in that same area, and uh, he said that there is quite some cave there to be found. It's deep, and there's a lot of, like, you know, small dry cave that you need to pass, so it's, like, I, you know, I ask for adventure. If I go there, I'm definitely going to get it. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I would love, I would love to head back there and, um, yeah, fight off the, you know, those bird-eating spiders and creepy crawlies and all those things. But, uh, yeah, at some point I'd like to head back. Yeah, that sounds like it would be absolutely fantastic. And, you know, some, something about you guys and you know, the cave divers and wanting to get into these little tiny crevices and, and find these gems, these hidden gems that, you know, pop out of nowhere and you have these majestic rooms and all the rest of it. And so it kind of does kind of link back to that feeling of the, I think of like the Indiana Jones pieces, right? Where they're crawling through and it's just spider webs and jungles. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, like he's, he's found like, you know, some huge temple of doom or whatever it is. And you guys are kind of out there doing it. Right. So that's what I have pictured in my head, right, wrong, or otherwise. uh, It really is cool to listen to, you know, to you speak about it and with a lot of passion too, right. You're not just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go. It's like, Oh wow. I can't wait for it. So yeah, that's really super cool. It is very much like that. I mean, we have beautiful, uh, where you, you look into this crystal clear water, pond and you can see the lily pads on the bottom like it's very pretty even for snorkeling it would be really inviting um but you know i said this a couple of years ago to a friend like the more dives i do here the more i kind of i look at a puddle of water and i'm like what's what's in there you know a muddy a muddy pool of water now becomes quite 
quite interesting because um, it happens here that, you know, you kind of you put, put your hand on the line, you descend through this surface cloud where you can't see a thing and then suddenly it opens out into this um, beautifully decorated uh, chamber. So it's you just you, you learn to realise that it's you, you never know what is on the other side. So the reward is most of the time definitely worth it. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you online? Ooh, you can find me uh Dive Like a Ninja on Instagram. I have uh Dive Like a Ninja also on Facebook. I have my website, divelikeaninja.com. Um I'm pretty active on all of those. So yeah, check it out. Uh, what keeps you diving? Uh I guess it's just you know, seeing something new. I mean, here again, the the amount of um cave to be found cave to be just dived is sort of endless that's why you know there's so many expats here that kind of got stuck you know 10 15 20 years ago Um, there's enough uh, dive sites here or at least you know you can enter in a cenote and still dive that place for months and see something Mm. new so um just to see something new and you know here we have a lot of artifacts i have like a bucket list of dives i'm trying to slowly tick away so um it just uh yeah just to see something new and of course to to progress with my skills i'm always wanting a a challenge and to get better so um a mix of it all that's really awesome and i really thank you for sharing that with us and i've had a wonderful time chatting with you this evening and that make me really excited want to get out do some more diving and you know maybe get finally get down to mexico and get into cenote yeah yeah (laughs) thanks a lot yeah definitely come down come down (laughs) cenotes are open all year round (laughs) excellent all right well we'll see when february rolls around and uh, (laughs) i'm tired of shoveling snow and uh, then we'll talk yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hit me up for some balmy waters over here for sure. <laughs> Perfect. So, this week on the bucket list, we're going to talk about the Maldives. Now, Maldives is a thousand islands that are 400 miles southwest of India and they cover 3,500 square miles. So, it's an island nation it's broken up into like 19 zones, and those are basically marked as a different atolls and uh so there's i mean it's just spread out and there's so much cool topside stuff not to mention what's underwater so if you've ever seen these pictures of these beautiful cabanas on the water with crystal clear water and you know people just having amazing times on these super super beautiful destinations a lot of times that's maldives Maldives is known photography-wise for excellent wide-angle shooting for encounters with tons of different kinds of rays and tuna and white and black-dipped sharks, stingrays, all kinds of stuff. So there is a ton of life on these. Uh, One of the neat things that has always interested me is that because it has pretty strong currents uh, oftentimes strong currents that they do drift diving a lot and then that they also recommend doing negative entries so uh, negative entry would be where you you have everything set up on the surface you are weighted 
properly and then you dump all the air out of your bcd and then you do your entry and you go straight to the bottom we did this a lot when i was in cozumel as well because there could be currents on the surface and so once everybody was down on the bottom in you know that 45 feet of water or whatever then you would go off and do your dive so it's uh, it's pretty cool um it's something that i really want to check out and something that i'd like to ask all of our listeners if you've been to the maldives maldives what is it is it maldives or maldives let me know and also let me know what you did there did you stay in a resort did you do a liveaboard there's like a zillion maldives liveaboards so i want to hear from you just shoot us a message on the instagram or on our email and let us know what you did what you saw what you thought well, again, that was an awesome episode. Can't forget our future interview with Tamara May. She was super fun. And uh, like I said earlier, I just want to go swim around in a cenote now. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we'll get this wrapped up. I want to thank Nick for setting up the interview. Nick wasn't here today. Did we talk about Nick? I don't think we ever did. We got, uh, I think we got sidetracked. Think, yeah. Uh, we Nick, didn't say yeah. that he wasn't here yeah. this week. <laughs> <laughs> we were terrible people. We're just all annoyed because we wish we could be rebreather yeah. diving with them. That's that's what it is. I'm calling it out again, Nick. Like I'm just jealous, buddy. I wish yeah. I was with you. I think I should have been with you. You should, probably should have just taken me with you. I'm just jealous that's that he really got to eat that. at uh, Taco Mori. Taco oh yeah, Mori. that's right. Yeah, he was uh, snacking yeah. at Taco Mori. You know what mm-hmm. they say when the moon hits your eyes? No, that's hey, Taco Mori. That's Taco uh, Mori. That's that's really I'm bad, too, Justin. That's, I'm too young really for that bad. joke. <laughs> too young. Uh, Lord. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's, that's, okay. that's all right, April. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to get it, really. It's bad. It's so bad. Uh, okay. But Nick, thank, thanks for setting up that interview. Sorry you couldn't be here. He was trying to be here, but uh, yeah, he basically got stranded out on a boat doing some rebreathers dives on his new rebreather. Man. Sorry, Nick. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll also like to thank April. Thanks for doing everything you do on the podcast, April. As Nick would say, it's a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, thanks. This was awesome. It was uh, fun to come on and chat to another like uh, cave diver this week and we had mm-hmm. Marissa on last week which was awesome I'm just like feeling super inspired after these past two episodes so I really enjoyed it and Amit thank you for everything you do yeah well like I said man uh, last week I, I like it and I'll say it again uh, I show <laughs> up and I talk to people so um, yeah and I say stuff <laughs> so yeah it's, uh, it was a great interview enjoyed that thoroughly uh, I wish I could travel to all these places that uh, Tamara has traveled to mm-hmm. and do the diving that she's doing it was really really kind of cool I love the fact that uh, you know she values that dive like a ninja philosophy uh, which I think I buy into primarily because I watch lots of ninja movies and <laughs> um, yeah it was, it was a great time so thanks for having me on mm-hmm. most definitely Visit our website, diveinpod.com, for all the links you need for episodes, merch, and so much more. On social media, you can follow me at IDiveOK. I'm at April Weikert, and Nick is at Nicholas Winkler Photography. Next week, we speak to Zandi Inlovu. Zandi is a Patty Freediving instructor in South Africa and founder of the Black Mermaid Foundation. This episode of Dive in the Podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, Torpedo Ray Scuba. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. Reviews are one of the best ways to help others find the podcast. Thanks for listening. 